the way of life. Before we jump into this, can we pray? And when I say can we pray, I'm not saying let's just speak the right words. Let's check another box. It's not just for a transition. It's truly that our interior posture would be right before the Lord. That we would lean into him who is reaching over us with his love and his goodness. And whatever you're in the midst of, whatever circumstance, environment, the pain you find yourself in, in body or in heart, he is here. He is reaching. His love has never changed for you. It has always been and will always be for you and for me. A love that is overwhelming and can hold us even in the hardest of circumstances. I know on a resurrection Sunday, sometimes it's hard for us if we're in the midst of our own trials and difficulties. If we're in the midst of hardship, brokenness. But see, today is a day of hope. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. So Lord, we come to you. The one who is with us today and will give us the hope for tomorrow. And so we lean into you, Heavenly Father, and may your love cover us. May your reach overwhelm us and hold us, even greater than the circumstances we find ourselves in, and may your life and breath be breathed into us. For you call us by name. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, we celebrated Good Friday. We remember God's sacrifice, the night he took his final breath. And yesterday being Holy Saturday is when God is silent, breathless. It's as if death has taken his breath away. A place of quietness and stillness, the in-between, between the old covenant and the new covenant. Despair and hope, darkness and the dawn of light. And sometimes for us, we can feel that we're caught in this place, the Saturday, the waiting, the wondering, the questioning, the despair, the anxiety, the depression, the fear. And we find ourselves saying, God, are you there? Maybe you feel like your own breath has been taken from you. You know, every morning I wake up and I get to see my little kids and they say something so sweet to me. You know what they say? Dad, your breath, it stinks. <laughs> the, other, the other day, this often happens, Anna and I fall asleep, it's just us two in the bed, and then in the morning there's children everywhere. And so we wake up and Silas, my son, is there and I roll over and it's 6 a.m. and I just go, oh, buddy, hey, I love you. He goes, I love, oh, your breath, dad. Just rolls over. Bad breath. No fun. That's why we give mints out. We gave you donuts and mints today. But sometimes we feel like the breath of our lives being suffocated by our circumstances or our surrounding. And we feel breathless. And it's difficult. And see, if we stayed in Saturday, then Jesus would just be a legend. 
a story that we tell, and not a reality to live in. It would simply be superstition, this unjustified practice that we do around something supernatural. But see, it's justified because Sunday comes and there's resurrection power and it's not superstition, but it's supremacy of Jesus the Christ, the one who conquered death. And in that Sunday morning resurrection, there is an inhale and exhale of life and life everlasting. The roar and the cry of God. You know, when a baby is born, you wait to hear that cry. You wait for it. And dads, I know you wait for that because you've been working so hard, going back and forth to the cafeteria, taking all the breaks you need. And so here you wait, everyone, to hear the cry. And when that baby cries, that means breath has entered into its lungs and there is life, and there is new life, and it's beautiful. Colossians 1 talks about how Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, that he holds all things together, that in him is the hope of glory, and so him in us, we are the hope of glory to the world that surrounds us. But there's a statement made which we remember and we celebrate today and we walk in the power of every day. It's that he is the firstborn from among the dead. The firstborn for the cry of life and new life everlasting. We are a people and a family of life and breath. We are the inhale and the exhale. Why don't we do that? Bad breath and all. Take a Big, deep breath in and let it out. Sorry. It's beautiful. And so when we even say a statement like this, he is risen, he is risen indeed. It's a declaration, not just a cute thing we state every once in a while. When we make the proclamation, he is risen, he is risen indeed. It's the inhale and the exhale of his life. New life and the power that conquered the grave. Let's say it one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The life of Jesus. We're going to read from John chapter 20. The first person to see the risen Lord, his follower, his friend, Mary Magdalene. Verse 1 through 18. This is the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb and both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head and the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen like he had just rose out. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to raise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I, I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am sending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her. So who was Mary? Just a little bit about her life. She was a woman delivered and freed from darkness, oppression, possession of evil. Evil tormented her, owned her, reigned upon and over her life. She knew what it was to be dead on the inside and held captive within herself by the forces of darkness. She knew what it was to feel like a piece of property because of the choices she made in the midst of that brokenness. Felt like a house of flesh, just a body. A waste of life. You know, some of us might find ourselves in that place, dead on the inside. Just feel like a body walking around overwhelmed or owned by the brokenness within or the captivity upon us, darkness, pain, trauma, oppression. But see, Jesus encountered Mary. She became free, forgiven, and a person again. She had a name again, Mary. And now she wasn't alone, but she was a follower of Jesus. She had purpose. She had a sense of belonging. But now it's over. He's dead. It was so good while it was happening. The restoration and the reconciliation. But now he's dead. And it's over. And so Mary and the others, they seek to honor what was. They seek to honor the life that Jesus had lived. 
See, she was a living witness of what Jesus had done when he was alive. She was a bystander to the atrocious murder of him on the cross. And now she was a mourning follower, a friend, seeking to honor who he was in his life. But it wasn't about what was, but what was to come. See, you and I, we can't live in the past with God. We can't live in the past. And maybe for you, it's good things, great moments. And you keep peering back and going back to stay there by the side of that tomb. And it's not just remembering, but you're trying to live in it. Maybe for others, it's bad and broken things, and you can't seem to get past it. Your past and your brokenness. See, God was there, but he's not there anymore. As Christians, we are called as followers, beckoned to be with him in what he is doing, and he is not staying at the tomb. He's not staying in your past. We can't live in our past anymore. There is a hope and a future for us. There is a strength for today, and there is a bright hope for our tomorrow, both now and forevermore. But see, Mary's thoughts and perception of what was happening was different. She had this stubborn conclusion that his body was taken. Is anyone in here stubborn? Raise your hand. If you are stubborn, first service, half of the place's hands went up. Good, you're being honest. That's so good, it's good we start there. It's always good to start with the problem, which is often ourselves. Stubborn. She had this stubborn conclusion. His body was taken. Do you ever have something in your mind, a hypothetical? or what you know happened and is happening, and you can't seem to get past it, shook out of it. And there she was. Someone took his body. Someone took his body. And even the faith of the disciples, they go there and they see it's still a mystery, and they don't know how this has happened, but they believe he's actually alive. And the other gospels share that with us still not knowing what was gonna happen and how it took place, but they believed. But even that, the faith of the disciples couldn't shake her out of it, her perception and her thoughts. If you bank your life and relationship with God on others, looking for them to pull you out of it and shake you out of it, they cannot reach that deep. And if you place your faith in others, you'll discover that they'll fail you and you'll be jaded. Then she had a conversation with angels. I mean, really, with angels. And that couldn't shock her out of it. I mean, whether she knew they were angels or not, they appeared and suddenly they're in the tomb. So it's already a weird situation. And they speak to her, but even that, It didn't shock her out of it. We can have all the spiritual encounters and experiences 
But still, it's not enough. It's not enough to reach so deep and to call us out of that place. And so she's blinded by her grief, her conclusions, her perception, her thoughts, the impossibilities, and not even her being around and in the presence of the risen Jesus. He stood before her and she just couldn't see that it was him. You and I, we can be right in front of Jesus in his presence here in church and still be blinded by self. But then what happened? Jesus called her by name. Mary. I'm sure when she heard that voice, it brought her back to those moments she was with him, but even that first moment in her brokenness and in her darkness and in her captivity, being dead on the inside, Mary. What seeing could not do, hearing finally accomplished. My prayer today is that you hear the voice of God calling out to you by name. That you would hear his voice calling out to you not just seeing and being around, but you would hear. And it's when his presence became a personal encounter that she woke up to it. New life. A personal encounter. See, later on you're gonna hear the stories. And that's what the church is. It's a gathering of all of us coming together from different backgrounds, different experiences. Broken, whole, messed up, put together, rich, poor. We all find the same seat here in this family and community because he called us each by name. I don't look at my kids and say, hey, kid, 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 kid. Now, sometimes I'll say, son, it's different. No, I look and I, I, I gave them names. When the child is born, one of the first questions when everything settles down is, all right, we'll start doing the paperwork. What is the child's name? Man, I know parents, you've been there for like four or five days in the hospital and you still don't have a name for the kid. You're like, baby is what we call it now. But there's something so sacred about a name. In John 10, Jesus is speaking of himself. He says, the good shepherd calls his sheep by name. And he leads them. And they know his voice. We cannot allow our own limitation and perceptions to limit what God can do. Mary had her own understanding of what was possible or impossible. And it was debunked. She thought, he's taken. His body is gone. Never did it enter her mind that we serve a God who makes the impossible possible. And her limitation on what Jesus could and could not do was shattered. 
Many of us have placed limitation upon God, what he can do in our lives or the lives of those that we love or our world, our communities and our culture. We've limited what God can do in the world around us based upon our thoughts and our perceptions. He is not bound by our own limitation. He breaks free of it all. And he reaches past it all. Her stubbornness is disrupted by his reality. Oh, I love when I talk to someone and I hear their story. The stubbornness of them living a life a certain way. The limitations they placed upon God. He can never heal me of this. He can never free me of this. I'll never get through this valley and shadow of darkness. And all of a sudden, they have an encounter with the person of Jesus because he's not at the tomb. He's not still there that we go and visit his graveside and we weep. No, he's alive and he's among us and the encounters we have with him shatters the limitations we've placed upon him and what he can do. Makes the impossible possible. And his reality pushes us into intimacy and relationship with him because he's there and he's before us. And so she clings to him, takes hold of him, won't let go, and he says, don't. And oftentimes we'll hear this part of the story told. And we can think of it as Jesus rejecting her her affection, her praise, but that's not the case. It was an orientation. There was something new, a new way. He was directing her and orienting her with a new way, new life. Things have changed, Mary. And she was holding on to what was and thought, okay, great, everything will go back to how it was when it was quote-unquote normal. Isn't it always interesting how the past is normal, no matter what that past was? It was normal. And so she's holding on and she's clinging, but he's saying, no, no, no. There's been a change in the order of creation. And he says it like this. Mary, my father, your father. You're not just a follower. You're not just a friend. But the firstborn from among the dead, Jesus the Christ, the firstborn of all creation, has brought you into this family. You're a daughter. And to us, you're a daughter and a son with a name, and he calls out to you, my father, your father, my God, your God. In other words, every part of our being from the inside out, the God of all creation, creator of the heavens and the earth, of what is seen and unseen, the firstborn of all creation who called things into existence, who holds all things together, my God, And the intimacy 
my father. The most inner point of your heart and being, your soul. There's been a change and a disruption in creation. Creation cries out. There's a new way of life and a new way of living. And it can no longer be what it was. So Mary, let go of me so you can go into what I have for you. Not just a cause, but a mission. You won't be visiting my tomb anymore, Mary, weeping. You'll be the joyful witness of my life. And she becomes the first witness of the good news. And she ran to tell the others. You know when you run, how you get out of breath? I mean, I see you after that minute and a half greeting. Everyone's sitting down. (sighs) So she's running, but guess what? There's new life and new breath in her lungs. He's not dead. He's not been taken away. He's alive and among us. And her tears over death became the cries of new life. And over 2,000 years later, guess what? The witness still continues. Jesus is still among us, giving us life and new breath. That's why today we're celebrating the baptisms and the water baptisms of those who have said, I have decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. Because baptism shows us that there's a dying to oneself as you go into the waters and you are holding your breath in those holy waters. And when you come out of that, you inhale and exhale new life, reborn. There's a new way. The inhale and exhale of new life is who we are meant to be as followers, but even deeper, as sons and daughters, children of God. So as you hear their stories, we are reminded he is still the living God of personal encounters.